0: Alright, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Victor DeLorenzo. Drummer, actor, singer, songwriter, and studio engineer extraordinaire. Um, He started, uh, he was a founding member of a band called uh, The Violent Femmes. Yeah, The Violent Femmes. And he's in a band called 1913, spelled out. It's a duo with him and a cellist. And his newest project, The Night Crickets. With uh, David J. from Bauhaus and Darwin Miners. And um, this is part two of my Night Crickets series. We talked to David J. last week, and now we're talking Victor. I was familiar with uh, Bauhaus and David J.'s music, but not as familiar as I was with the Violent Femmes. So growing up, my cousin Dan, he downloaded me a torrent of all the Violent Femmes stuff, right? I was familiar with that first record and. I remember hanging out with him in Dallas and he was ripping music from his computer onto my I think no, he just gave me a hard drive. That's what it was from his hard drive. And he gave me all the violent femmes stuff. And there was something about those songs and how they were performed and how edgy they were, but how like easily they flowed and through madness. There's some parts like if you listen to Blister of the Sun, there's those breakdowns that are just on the edge of like, how does anyone recreate this and then bring it back home? And there's so many songs that, like, that, that are of the Violent Femmes, so many songs that are just, like, on the edge of, like, are they going to land it? But they land it, and it's so smooth. So there's this captured chaos that doesn't even feel like it. And they do it in a way that cultivates this unique approach to, like, modern folk music with a punk attitude. And after talking to Victor, that was a huge... Goal for the violent femmes was to cultivate their own uniqueness. And Victor's still doing that now. His newest band, the Night Crickets, have a, have a new record out. It's called *A Free Society*. It's one of the coolest records I've heard this year. And uh, we're gonna listen to a tune. This is Amanda's mantra off *A of Free Society*, the Night Crickets. <laughs>
1: James Dean Whoever thought forever Would begin
0: The Night Crickets. A free society's the record. It's available now wherever you get your music. That includes all streaming platforms. One cool thing about this interview, besides talking with Victor, um, was this was the first throwback to the original Zig at the gig format. That being, I recorded this interview out of my van at the gig. So I'm, I play in a band. If you're new to this podcast, I play in a band called C-Level Letter C Dash. We are a high-energy funk-punk reggae rock group based out of Cleveland, taking acoustic guitars uh, and running them through martial amps and going wild. So if you dig the Violent Femmes, you might dig some of our stuff. But we were playing at Nelson's Ledges, which is a a place in Ohio where a lot of music festivals happen. And I bet you're like, well, it's October. What are you talking about? And yeah, we played a cold one. We played a cold festival. We were out by the quarry. Uh, I want to shout out anyone who was at that show. Thank you for hanging out with us at Magic Moments Fest at Nelson's. Um, It was cold. We were cold. And we appreciate you guys being there with us because it was a blast. But before we hit the stage, I was hidden away in my van talking to Victor, which was uh, my initial pitch for how this podcast would work. I'm like, oh, while we're at the gigs, I'll interview people before we play which um, eventually crumbled. It became too much to be at the gig, do the gig, get ready for the gig, and try to interview the guy you are playing with. No, it didn't work, but it was a fun idea. Um, Yeah, this was a great, great honor to talk to Victor, and I couldn't ask for a more pleasant, insightful interview. Um, If you're really into acting, this is a great insight into the parallels of acting and music. With that being said, if you can like rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms It helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Victor. Awesome, man. Well, I'm super excited to talk (laughs) with you. So we have that connection (laughs) off the bat. (laughs) Um, Wonderful. I guess, you know, I'm going to delete in my first question, I guess, off your cousin. Uh, Your first cousin or not, one of your cousins sold you your first drum kit, right? (laughs)
1: No, actually uh, what happened was my cousin Michael, when I was in high school, uh, he had a friend who was selling a drum set because he was going to Vietnam. Hmm. And so my cousin Michael asked me if I knew anybody that would be interested. And I said, no, not really. I I don't really know anybody that plays the drums now or wants to. But then the more I thought about it, I I couldn't even believe I heard myself saying, but maybe I should buy it. <laughs> and and he said, oh, really? Why do you want to buy it? And I said, I don't know. It just seems like it might be the right thing to do. And and I would like to help out your your friend. So I got a set of uh, Slingerland, a uh, four piece Slingerland drum set um, with cymbals for three hundred and fifty dollars. And I wish I still had that
0: set. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, mean, th- that's a good deal to get everything in one package for $350. I know. Not bad. So... I know. <laughs> Very cool. Because um, you, were, you were playing what, uh, viola right before?
1: When I was in grade school, uh, there was a, a kind of a, a soft music program at my grade school. I, I grew up in Racine, Wisconsin, and I, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. And at Sacred Heart. Um, I think around maybe fourth grade that's when um, we were offered the idea of playing a musical instrument and they only had string instruments available at that time so I, I chose to play the viola and I studied viola for I think it was only a couple years and then I started taking piano lessons and eventually I decided when I got the drums that I told you about after fooling around, just playing to records for a while, I decided to take instruction. And there was a a great uh, drummer, music teacher in Racine named Joe Police. And he his claim to fame was he came to prominence in Chicago in the 40s and 50s. Uh, he was a big band drummer and he was contemporary and, and friends with Buddy Rich and Louis Belson and Papa Joe Jones and, you know, all, all yeah. kinds of those early drummers and and so what i got from joe was not only uh, an understanding of how to read music rhythmic notation but also uh, the artistry of, involved with playing the brushes and that's something that i took into my career with violent femmes uh, uh, of course to play rock music i had to bastardize the <laughs> the system a little bit but uh, but yeah, I'm indebted to to this day to Joe uh, getting me started with playing the brushes because I absolutely love playing the brushes.
0: It, it's a whole different like texture and like how you like use like a with like especially with the femmes use like a, a minimal kit. Like the right. brushes bring out like what the cymbals, all, the hi hat does, and like I it, it's interesting because not like getting ready to talk with you, I was really listening for that and like uh-huh. I, maybe I, I noticed the brushes before but like listening through i'm like i, I don't hear as many symbols so is like right. part, of the, part of the work is like is that part of it is uh...
1: well when i when i decided what i was going to attempt to do with the fems my first consideration was what can i haul when i'm walking on the street going to 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 busk yeah cuz cuz essentially what we would do in, instead of even though we did do this sometimes, rehearse in a a musty old basement, we like to go out on a nice summer afternoon and and play music for the people on the streets. So I couldn't bring, well, I couldn't economically, of course, bring a full drum set. So I decided, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop a style that can apply to just one drum. So I can Mm. simulate or give the impression of a full drum set with just using one drum. And at that time I thought the easiest and fastest and most unique way to accomplish that would be to play brushes because with brushes, I have found that I can play louder with brushes than I can even with sticks. And also there's so many more applications with the brushes that are available to you that you just don't have using a very um, solid piece of wood being a a drumstick.
0: No, that, 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 that makes sense because of the like watching you play like are, are you using like when i look at the brushes you use it doesn't look like the metal ones or uh they look like well the I used, kind of broomy ones
1: right i i used to use metal brushes exclusively until i was introduced to uh, they're called um let me see what think what they're called now i think they might be called wicks you know what here wait i got a pair i got a uh-huh. pair over here let me look at them <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of spacing out what they are. Yeah, okay, they're a regal tip. Uh, with uh, They're called whiskers.
2: whiskers and they yeah. <laughs> have, a, they have
1: a, a, a metal handle and then a nylon um, uh, brush itself. So uh, what I found was that the uh, brushes, the whiskers, were easier to play because they weren't as heavy as the uh, metal strand brushes. And also they were more dependable. Uh, as As far as taking them on tour i didn 't have to constantly be buying new brushes every week because uh these whiskers seem to last uh quite a long time so so there's a few different reasons why I started playing them but but I certainly love them and i um
0: if I was smart, I should probably ask them for an endorsement yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> <laughs> well so like with the idea of busking with the femmes, how did that kind of like become the this is how we're gonna go do it, like, cause you guys, you and uh Brian started as a rhythm group, right? Just back yeah, in that we called group.
1: ourselves the our, our rhythm section, the two of us. We called Violent Femmes, and the reason we called it that was because Brian um, was talking to a friend one day, and the friend asked Brian if he had uh, a brother or a sister, and Brian said yes. As a matter of fact, I have have a brother, and. And then the friend said, "Well, is he a musician also?" And and Brian was just kind of playing along, trying to just shut the guy up. And he said, "Yeah, he he he's a musician too." Um, and the the friend continued and said, "Well, does he play in a band?" And Brian said, "Yeah, he plays in a band. It's called uh, it's called uh, uh, Violent Femmes." <laughs> and and he just he just came up with the name off the top of his head. Because in Milwaukee, when we would refer to someone as being kind of a weak person or an effeminate person, we would call them a femme. So Brian, I guess, got off on the idea of this feminine person, whether it be male or female, becoming violent. <laughs> so, so that that was some kind of a kick for him in his mind. And and then I think it was maybe a few days later he came over to practice. And he said, Victor, I think I came up with a name for our rhythm section. I said, oh, really? What is it? And he said, how about Violent Femmes? And I just looked at him and I said, well, it's certainly a, not a name you're going to forget. <laughs> but, I, but I don't really know if that's apropos. Um, but we, we just went with it for a while. And when we met Gordon for a, for a small amount of time, we were billing ourselves as Gordon Gano and The violent femmes. Okay. And then finally, it got to a point where people were just referring referring to us as violent femmes or just the femmes. So we decided, well, let's just call ourselves violent femmes.
0: Okay. So like, so so the idea of busking was just like, um, was that just where you guys would practice, or how did like the idea of hitting the streets like with the femmes, like?
1: Well, it was hard to us for us rather to to get a job in the regular clubs because we were so unique at that time Uh, playing an acoustic mariachi bass uh, one guy playing a snare drum with brushes and then this other guy singing these incredible uh, young adult minded songs and they also happened to be very catchy so so even though we had that going for us it was still looked at as a liability for us in the Milwaukee music scene because Mm -hmm. everything at that time was hair metal and full drum sets and stacks of marshals and and what have you, but uh, we were just we were just the weird uh, psychedelic farmers on the <laughs> on the scene, and people didn 't quite know what to do with us, so we figured, well, the hell with it, we don't need to go play in a club we 'll just go on the streets and play and uh, I think that not only was something for us to do, but it also really honed our craft as far as being The unique musicians that we became and also we could use that in the future busking outside as a real good promotional tool when we were in different cities we could just go play on the street anywhere we didn't have to be in a club and then we we would just say hey if if you liked what you're hearing this afternoon come and hear us tonight we're playing at so and so you
0: know yeah and and then i don't know when you play when you play when you busk when you play on the street you never know like how that's going to go or who you're going to interact with. And well, you, you can
1: tell right away if people like it or not, because right. they either stop to hear you or they keep walking.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask, cause like I've done a, I've done a fair amount of busking. Uh, me and a friend started this thing called busking for bread and we would pick a fundraiser and busk all summer and donate it. Um, but like, like there's this certain, there's like this, you, you like how you just said, you know, what catches someone's ear and how they interact with that. And like, as you're in that process, you're like, okay, I got to do more like that today because that's working. Did you notice right. that like really affected the songwriting?
1: I'm not sure it affected the songwriting, but it certainly affected the way we delivered the songs. Okay. Uh, we began to to see, like you said, which songs were going over with people, and then also um, we developed our shtick of how to interact with the audience, and that was something that was invaluable because. Right. When you're on the street you're not just dealing with a rock audience you're dealing with all different kinds of humanity walking up and down the block yeah so so we had to figure out how can we reach this group of people that we're singing to right now is it an older group of people is it a younger group of people is it just women is it a combination of men and women or just men and, i mean we started to take all those things into consideration and I think that's really what developed us into to really, really fine performers, if I do say myself, as far as dealing with uh, an audience that you don't know what to expect from them and they don't know what to expect from you.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's so like during the, like I mean, in, I know you have a you have a little bit of background in theater, right? Was this yeah, kind quite, of like... quite a quite a big background, <laughs> as a matter of fact, <laughs> but, I mean, at this time, like when you're starting the FEMS. Like, yeah, I, okay, I was on the okay. stage from nine years old. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah,
1: sure. Oh, oh sure. sure. I, I did print ads for for the paper and for magazines. I did little uh, if, if someone needed a kid in a play. Yeah. Happening in Racine, I, I would be there. And then in grade school, I, I started to become more and more interested in theater and in acting and in films. In fact, when I was first getting interested in the arts music to me represented to me something that was in part of a film or or a a play it wasn't that i was into rock bands or really any kind of music at that point in time i was more interested in becoming an actor and music was just something that was part and parcel of films or television or or theater so so i didn't even really become interested in music until (laughs) 1968, when my cousin Chris took me in his basement at his parents' house, and he said, I want to play you this single I just got. And I said, really, what is it? He says, it's by the Beatles, and it's called Hey Jude. And I heard that, and then I was hooked. I was hooked on popular music, and I was hooked on the Beatles. I mean, I still am, but, but for the first four years after hearing the Beatles, I would listen to nothing but the Beatles. That was it. Yeah. So, so I wasn't involved. I wasn't interested really, except in a passing way, you know, the stones or credence or, or, uh, deep purple or, you know, wh- what have you. Um, yeah, I, I was more interested in, in the Beatles and jazz because I was studying with that, that drum teacher I told you about. Yeah. With Joe police. Yeah. And, uh, and i really got into to jazz then and in all different aspects of jazz whether it be dixieland big band uh small groups avant-garde uh what have you i i just i just fell in love with it
0: yeah how how did it how do you introduce avant-garde like that's not one that's uh, easy to just be like yeah this is cool <laughs> like
1: well because what jazz represented to me from a drumming stance was that you really played the drums in a musical way? It wasn't just a timekeeping aspect. Right. You could really express yourself through the drums or through the cymbals, which would be accepted more, say, in a traditional jazz format, or
0: certainly more wide open in an avant-garde uh, setting. It becomes, yeah, it does. It becomes way more melodic in sequence yes. with. But that's like if you're just starting with that. That's such. But you know, what? it's interesting. Like with everything that you, you, like, to come from, like, a, a theater background to be in, like, this kind of, like, big-picture mentality, like, mm-hmm. and, and to start with, like, uh, uh, viola and then jump the piano, you started in the middle cleft, now you get both ends, bass and treble. <laughs> right, right. You, you, you know Right. What I mean? you got this, <laughs> right. <laughs> which made reading music probably really easy. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. But you're getting this huge, like, a vast view of music and performance all at the same time and right. like I, I feel like w- with working with a lot of people i work with or just like how i started it was very micro it was very small and focused in a way like guitar mm-hmm. is what i started with so good i was like right. i can figure this out you know so to have that kind of vast like uh look on everything like it mm. makes sense why why like the femmes and like i'm well what what the kind of step before going there, when did you meet Brian? Were you like playing in bands? Well, before? one
1: thing, one thing I was just going to add to what you were saying was I was interested in show business. Okay. So anything that would get me on a stage was okay yeah. by me. Okay. If that mean, if that meant I was reciting a poem, if that meant I was playing a role in a, in a play, if that meant I was playing guitar, um, or drums or what have you. I was just interested in being on the stage. So I was I was trying to familiarize myself with all these different kinds of disciplines because I figured the more I knew about all these different things, the better rounded I would be as a performer. Yeah. So that's why that's why I wasn't just interested in in being a rock musician or being an actor. I, I wanted to have a taste of all these different things. And and also through through that kind of a outlook towards my creative career um i i really came to celebrate the idea of collaborating with different people and that's something that i don't know when you when you meet people either in the theater field or or in music or or what have you sometimes people just have a singular focus right and i I didn't want that for myself. I, I wanted to know as much about as many different things as possible. Um, and not that it's bad to have a singular focus, but it just just didn't ring true for me.
0: Well, not, yeah, it's almost a more mature kind of like uh, bigger discipline to understand all these different facets and be able to like work in any of those. Like it's kind of a, uh, the Bruce Lee be like water thing is like you can fit anywhere and really – express yourself to the fullest and like that's like the pinnacle of whatever like outlet you want to get into you know mm-hmm. and like sure. that's that to have that at the beginning is fascinating you know not at the beginning but during this earlier process like like that's that's so cool like was there like um the kind of well another thing i want to put um out there i was talking with uh i talked with victor Wooten, and we uh his wife's an actor and he brought up the Importance of of acting to the musician, and like how like that and not only with performance but the whole like Meisner kind of like mentality and the like repeating hearing repeating. I don't know if you dove into any of the schools or anything like that. Um, oh sure, sure. I Stanford Meisner. Yeah, of course. Yeah? So did yeah. you were you diving into that while like learning <laughs> music at the same time? Like, well, when I when
1: I got into uh, UWM the the college here in Milwaukee. I decided that i was going to be studying music and theater and literature hmm. so in my theater studies I, I came in contact with you know all, all kinds of different uh, uh trains of thought as, as far as theater study so um yeah i, I loved it all from the method to to um, uh sandy meisner to uh um I mean, there's, there's all different, Stanislavski, Boleslavski, I mean, all the Slavskis. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I, uh, I, I uh, really fell into it in a, in a great way because it was just so exciting for me that I, I thought, here's this opportunity. I mean, how many people have this opportunity where you can assume another persona
2: right?
1: and, and, then, and then develop it, uh, research it, and then present it to people and then have have you come off stage and someone say to you, I didn't even think that was you up there. And that was the biggest compliment when you could really, I guess, pull the wool over someone else's eyes in, into believing that you were someone else. And I, I just found that fascinating. And then I think it kind of dripped over into my idea of what a drummer for Violent Femmes would be, because I figured, OK, I, I've got to have a little bit of humor in what i do i want to be big on stage and also um i want to i want to just make sure that that what i'm what i'm doing is exciting for me and it's not just the manic drummer it's got to have some kind of a subtext or a story behind it that i could bring on stage every night so i could try to play differently every night so i wasn't just locked into one shtick
0: right wow yeah no that totally makes a difference because each with the femmes everyone was so unique and you guys stuck out in the best way out of a lot of artists coming out at that time and like to come up with the idea of filling in this kind of character not only is like it sounds like a healthy outlet creatively but also just Mm -hmm. like kind of personally (laughs) to be like yeah to be able to put your space here and step back is that well
1: you know it it probably wouldn't work for everybody but it certainly worked for me because because of my background and and what i wanted to bring into it Um, the other guys gordon and brian were more or less just musicians looking for a break right Um, but i had this whole other aspect to what i wanted to do and and sometime that would that would get me into trouble with the other two guys because i had a bigger vision of what i wanted to pull off on stage. And they thought it was okay just to play music and and stand there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I, I wanted to develop more and have it be more of a theatrical experience, rather than just primarily a music experience.
0: Huh, no, that like when you when you have a stage, right, and you have people that are coming to you, like that's your chance to make that 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 thing no one's seen before because. That, that's kind of what uh what victor was saying when i was talking well it's weird i'm talking to both victors now um <laughs> with a uh, with victor wooten was saying like when you have people's attention there that's when you you make it worth their their time being there they got a babysitter they got someone that they t- called off work and like right. you put on that show you know like which which only enhances the music enhances the music but it's like no. It's hard enough just to get people to be like, "I like your song, let me show up." So I, I get both ends of that.
1: Um, well, when I was when I was in the theater company Theater X, I I came into Theater X because my friend Willem Dafoe, who was in the company, uh, decided to to move to New York to yeah. to find his uh, his uh, role there as far as how he fit into the theater world in New York at that time. And when I took over for Willem, uh, my whole idea was I was going to. Um, I, I was coming into a role that he had he had uh, uh, started, um, and I was going to take over for him and then and then move on to to newer things, but I I had to fulfill this commitment of of uh, playing out this this play uh, that Willem had started the role for. Yeah. So that was very interesting doing that transition where I worked with Willem and learned the part, but then you're left with the part, but you don't just want to mimic what Willem did. You want to make it something that is personal to you. And so that that really had an effect on me of not only how do you take over a role that someone else has created, but then how do you make it new for yourself and the audience every mm-hmm. night? Even though you perform it night after night, the audience is seeing it maybe just for the first time. Right. So so how do you make it an individual experience for those people and and not just repeat yourself all the time just just to give a performance um it's it's a hard thing to do and i can't say i was always successful doing it but but i certainly tried i mean th- that was in my mind
0: it, you know, i i can't i can't believe anyone would be successful doing that exactly every night there's no way you know what yeah. did you find like kind of helped you do that like kept that role fresh and kept that that uh the ability to express yourself fully but maybe in someone else's like character or song or like
1: right. Well one of the wonderful things about violent femmes and, and there were many um was that we could really express ourselves on our instruments. It wasn't as though, hey Victor, you came up with that part now just play that part. Right. I mean everything was malleable from night to night. So that certainly helped to make it fresh. Also, we were always coming up with new material and we didn't have a lot of time to rehearse. So a lot of times we would just try out new material in front of the audience Mm. and we wouldn't even know what we were really doing, but we were just chipping away at it like a piece of alabaster. And we're we're hoping that we're gonna get a worthwhile sculpture out of this thing after we're done chiseling it. And, And a lot of times, that added an excitement, just because the audience didn't know, and we didn't know either. So, so we were all kind of standing there in
0: the same position, um, but wanting to be entertained. <laughs> but that that keeps that oh, that make that checks out. Well, that makes sense because like, it's all like this could be perfect or not. Like, yeah, hope we yeah. land it. And like I think right. you have to have that level of communication as a group and musician vocabulary to be able to have that type of performance. And right. like, I guess I guess, you know, going back to the idea of busking, that makes that a very comfortable thing to do. Yeah. Because like there's no like there's no expectation of it has to be like, all right, you're on at five, you're done at six. What are you doing? Right. You know?
2: Yeah.
0: Well, we encouraged each other to be different. In fact, we always had a saying,
1: let's cultivate our own uniqueness. And that, that was something that really uh, it was almost like uh, our mission statement in a way. And it was always funny to, uh, to be on stage and say it would come a point in a piece like Black Girls, one of the songs that yeah. we played, where everybody's expecting a drum solo. And instead of a drum solo, I would sing a Frank Sinatra song, a <laughs> cappella. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had that ability because of my two partners where we could go wherever we wanted. And it was always trying to entertain ourselves and the audience. So, so nothing was out of bounds. And I, and I think uh, certainly with my background in theater, I could really bring a lot to that. Yeah. And i could I could really throw a lot of curveballs <laughs> into the situation
0: what was a what was probably one of the most wild to your own expectations curveballs thrown
1: <laughs> Oh boy uh, <laughs> there were quite a few of them uh, yeah. well, I think just that one I just mentioned though it, it, maybe during the drum solo singing a song or <laughs> or um instead of starting a song in a a way that we have become accustomed to maybe you would start it in, in a different way or um i know from from tour to tour i would always try to change my drum system around so i would always be um introducing new sounds in, in into the group and that was something that that i i was really happy that i could do that because the idea of being just trapped with a snare drum, a floor tom and a cymbal, or with the transophone, that, that folk art object that I've created, um, it, just, it just was good. It was good that we were always challenging ourselves and that when people saw the films, they, they didn't know what to expect. Uh, we, we never had a set list. We just called the songs when we were on stage uh, trying, trying to judge what the audience would want to hear next, or or what we would want to hear next in a piggish way, but
0: um, yeah, I mean the whole idea of violent femmes was freedom. That's that's really what we're about. The cultivating your own uniqueness. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's such a a beautiful, pure thing because there's so much in that in the music industry or performance industry where it's like, kind of like okay, we're trying to figure out who we are, but figuring out where we fit. You know, and then yeah. like, but to have this kind of sense that you guys can just do you and not right. worry about it. But also care that people are there, like really like those are like that's like a whole nother that's playing a whole nother instrument, playing the audience. And yeah, like definitely not playing them in the, like, Oh, you got played, but playing them into making this the best experience and that's like Uh, uh, that's such a hard like hard thing to do (laughs) especially work i only have this many songs what are we gonna do (laughs) (laughs) right right (laughs) how are we gonna make it work here Uh, because i i I don't know i've played a lot of rooms i play a lot of nursing homes and i play and like it's hard it's hard to even gauge in certain rooms how they you know and like people won't do anything and then after they come up to you and you're like oh that was great and you're like it was like yeah yeah (laughs) Um,
1: right. You you never know who's in the audience and you never know how the audience is going to perceive what they're being presented. Um, th- that's one of the wonderful things about performance is that you never really know what to expect, even though you may have something memorized, whether it be a, a monologue or or what have you. And you're presenting it. You still don't know what people are going to think about it or something that you worked on so hard. And you think, oh, my God, this is going to just kill. Like people are going to yeah. laugh like crazy. And then sometimes <laughs> it goes over like a lead balloon. You, know, it's just, you, you don't know. But but that's I, I live for that. I, I just love not knowing what is going to happen. Uh, the great unknown. I mean, it, it certainly
0: welcomes you freely. <laughs> and it's it's fun. I don't know, because because there is no expectation, there is no right or wrong. And like it doesn't work. Eh, whatever. Do it again. Right. Um, did uh, did timing from acting kind of affect timing in music for you
1: well people ask me sometimes about what does one thing have to do with the other what does music have to do with theater or vice versa and my standard answer is i don't think they really have that much to do with each other other than just in a very perfunctory way in my way of of being an actor or being a musician or combining the two i find that i'm i'm using different things for for each situation i find myself in it's a whole different set of rules in my mind when i'm an actor on stage than when i'm a musician on stage uh some some of the things cross pollinate but
0: just in my mind
1: i have to psych myself a different way to perform in each of those different things
0: yeah like, uh, what's like for I guess for like a theater role, what do you like mentally kind of do that differs from a music role?
1: Well, sometimes in a in a theater situation, unless it's improvisational based, you have to deal with a writer,
2: right?
1: You have to deal okay, with the director, the you have to deal with lighting people, and you have to deal with the other actors on the stage. Sometimes, as a musician, you're dealing with other musicians on the stage but you're not really getting into the background or the subtext of what's being delivered. Um, and in and, and, and that way, I, I think it's, it's very different. Those, those two different forms of presentation.
0: I think that's very well said because like with, with songs, it's almost better that you don't know exactly what it's about because it right. means more, but then in a role, you got to have that, like you got to know exactly to convey it. Really well, you have to
1: have that. an understanding of what you're trying to present, right. and it, it, it may be totally wrong, but it also might be totally fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I've had I've had the experience sometimes where I presented a scene to a writer and the writer will say, oh, my God, I never thought of it that way. And that's that's the wonderful thing about interpreting music or, or interpreting text um, is, is that there's no one way to
0: do it. That's beautiful. I think that's, yeah. like, it, it, I th- what made me think, think about the idea of timing comparatively is I had a student who just did a musical, or no, sorry, did a, a play and then did uh-huh. a musical and who's in my class. And I was just like watching like how certain timing things went in each, you know, cause I was just che- uh, like cheek to cheek. It was, I was so stoked that he was <laughs> doing this and like, <laughs> you know, that's just so cool. And like thinking about the rhythmic aspects, we've gone over and seen how they play out dramatically or, you know I mean? Like, so like, especially getting to talk to a drummer of your caliber, like, so that, that, I think that was well said. Um, one thing I wanted to kind of bounce to is 1913. Sure. um, Your duo group, which is fantastic. Oh, thank you. I love 1913. It's so cool. (laughs) And like, it, it just, it goes everywhere and how, um, how your cellist builds these loops now like I I didn't see any like live performances. I've just been going through the the records I can find or the, oh, the streaming. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, there's there's certainly some live performance stuff um that that you can find on YouTube, but uh yeah, I'm I'm glad you appreciate the uniqueness of of 1913 because it's something that I've been a part of now for 10 years. Yeah. And and uh I love playing with Janet. Um it's funny because uh I just saw Janet in a different light yesterday because her father just her father just died a couple oh. of days ago and uh I just went to the funeral yesterday and you know emotions come out in a different way when you're at a funeral and you're right. you're dealing with memories and uh I was just kind of surprised by some of the things that Janet was telling me but uh she's a great musician good writer good performer and uh also i'm i'm indebted to her because she lets me be what i want to be on stage um and and sometimes as i referred to before maybe that got me in trouble with the fem sometimes <laughs> but uh but janet appreciates what i do and how i how i present things so uh we've had a really good time uh not only writing and recording the music but playing live and lately too we've we've in for some performances, we've expanded the band a little bit where we have a, a keyboard player who plays with us. And then also we have a singer that sings with us and also a saxophonist. So, so 1913 can perform as a duo, but we can also expand and and, and do larger uh, group presentations as well. Awesome.
0: Cause like, I was going to ask, like, with like the kind of expansiveness of like, the fems and like the, the looseness, like when you're playing with loops, you can't be as loose. So like, no, not at all. Not <laughs> it's at all. The exact opposite.
1: Yeah. You have to lock into it. The, the first
0: layer is,
1: is usually what I'm supporting. Okay. And, and I have to be not only playing clearly and have a very sound <laughs> rhythmic foundation for Janet, but then also I have to, well, I had to, I should say, develop another sense of, playing along to the loop without really hearing it if that makes
0: any sense oh no it totally does
1: <laughs> yeah it's like it becomes second nature to you and and you don't have to concentrate on so much that first layer because you want to complement what Janet is playing on the last layer right. which is usually a live a live uh, cello performance so so it's it's it was maddening for a while but now I mean after doing it for so many years I, I don't even think about it at all. And if, and if Janet uh, has some kind of a little hiccup in that first loop, she hears it, too. And then while we're playing, she will correct it. So so we have all kinds of checks and balances built into our little duo.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're looping like that cause, uh, with I play in a group and like when w- one guy can't make it, I got a whole loop thing. And like if the other guy can't make it, so I as long or if no one makes it, I can I can do this loop thing and like it's whole like like it's exactly like you're saying. If that first one's messed, it's like we're starting over or we're committing to the end. How are we gonna play around this hiccup? Um but that's like a whole new character in a way. Like because of that. Now W- branching off, did the, like this kind of like practice and this kind of like attention to this new character that's really focused, but complementing like that one. I guess before I finish that question, that's very jazz. Is like yeah. when once someone's playing the lead, you build off what they're doing, whatever it is. Um, sure. But did that help with uh, the night crickets? Because from what I understand, is you would send just the drum tracks to David J. Well, what I would do, when, when we started the night crickets, I should
1: give you a little background uh, first. When uh, the FEMS played Coachella, the Music and Arts Festival in California in 2013, and backstage I met this guy named Darwin Miners. And it turns out that he was not only a musician, but also he was the manager of David J. And, and we started talking music, and he wanted to know if I, if I knew anything about David. And I said, I I don't really, uh, the name isn't familiar to me. And he said, well, have you heard of this group Bauhaus? And I said, well, I I have heard of the group Bauhaus, but to tell you the honest to God truth, I don't know any of their music at all. Um, So he said, oh, okay, because I think you would get along great with David if you met him. And I said, well, hopefully this will happen someday. So about two years later, Darwin invited me out to the West Coast to be a part of a video he was putting together for one of his songs. And David was a part of it as well. So I got to meet David and I started talking with David and he said, Victor, you're not going to believe this, but you would not believe how much violent femmes, uh, influence Bauhaus. And I said, well, aren't you doing some kind of Gothic rock kind of a thing? (laughs) I mean, that doesn't really (laughs) sound like the Femmes to me. And he goes, no, but we, we love your sense of, uh, excitement and, and the sense of exploration and just how you took these acoustic instruments and really made rock music with them and he said that that introduced in, uh, and influenced rather us, us in a great way and i said oh, okay if putting it that way I, I see what you mean and i see how that could work so anyway uh two years ago around the holiday season darwin calls me up and he says hey vic can you create some drum tracks for me that I could write some music to and I'll, and I'll pay you for the drum tracks? And I thought about it and I went, yeah, you know, I could do that. Um, I could create some brand new ones for you. And also I have kind of a vault here at my studio where every time I had a good drum setup, I would record something just to uh, yeah, some kind yeah, of a yeah. Just to just to a time reference, just because I love the sound of what I what I had going at that particular point. So I said, would you mind if I sent you some of these things? And he goes, no, whatever you want to send me is fine. So I got a I uh, I think, a, like a handful of of different um, drum tracks together. Some were just drum set. Some were drums set with percussion. And I would send those to him. And then he would start writing stuff and he had also said um this is really great i think i can make something of this and i said well what if i throw another uh, wrench into the works here and why don't you see if david wants to maybe be part of this maybe he can play some bass on some of this or you know any other instrument he wants to play so so i would send stuff to them they would send it back to me and then i would maybe add a bass part or more percussion or I would play guitar or, or keyboard or what have you. I would add other things and then send it back. And we kept going back and forth until we came to the conclusion, oh, this piece is done. And so before we knew it, we had six finished pieces. And it was really exciting because I never knew what I was going to get in the email the next day. And it was the same for them. It was almost like a kid Christmas morning, you know, know, wanting to open up the packages. So so I uh, I came to really appreciate what was happening. And the other guys realized, too, that this was really something special that was a matter of kismet. We didn't we didn't plan for this to happen. It wasn't. Hey, let's have a group. You know, let's get this group together. It was just a matter of, of playing music, music back and forth but in a, in a very alien fashion, because we couldn't be in the same room together. So we came to really appreciate what was happening and went into it full force. And eventually I talked to a friend of mine at Omnivore Recordings. um, And, and I, I talked to her and I, and I said, and this is Cheryl Pawlowski is her name. She's okay. the, actually it's her label and she's from Milwaukee and we had never met before. And I called her out of the blue and I said, hey, listen, uh, we haven't met, but I'd, I'd like to uh, talk to you about this, this group that I got started. I don't know how it's happened, but we've, we've got six songs finished and we'd, we'd like to know if you maybe want to do something with us. So I sent these songs to Cheryl on a Monday. She called me back on the following Wednesday and said, Let's make a deal. <laughs> so so I said, Wow, this is the fastest record deal I've ever had in my life. This sounds fantastic. And then what happened was we were going to have a six-song EP, but the three of us kept writing and recording. So eventually we had 13 songs. So I went back to Cheryl and I said, Cheryl, I'm sorry, but we've given birth to a few more babies here. <laughs> and and uh would you mind if we put this out as a full record? And she goes, well, send us the other stuff and I'll play it for the staff and we'll see what's happening. And everybody loved it. So, so then we just decided, all right, let's, let's work on a a full length record and, and uh, let's take our time and, you know, gather the artwork and get the, the tracks mastered and and figure out uh, how we're going to introduce this to the world and, and we're very happy to to find out that people are really receptive to what we're doing. And to tell you the truth, we're already working on a brand new album. Nice. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's almost like we're, we've got this crazy addiction between the three of us. And, uh, I tell you this, the next stuff that we're working on is yeah. absolutely mind boggling. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. some of, some of it is pretty heavy, uh, politically speaking. Um, and, and uh, there's a fair amount of pathos on the record. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy to, to uh, keep working on this stuff and I can't wait until it's finished. In fact, I think we're having a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting coming up in a few days and we're just going to talk about what we're going to do with these, the next tracks that we have been compiling. But it's nice in that we have three lead singers in the group yeah. and also we have three writers so so i'm not just the drummer he's not just the bass player he's not just the guitarist it's like we we intersect in all these different ways and i don't know of very many other bands that would la- allow you to do that <laughs>
0: right. well, it's, yeah. like, it's like an amalgamation of of all yeah. those characters put together and like it's interesting i talked to i talked to david J a few days ago Oh and, great! I'm glad you talked to him. Oh, it good. was it was amazing. I'm I've, this record. I've been blasting it nonstop. It's such a good oh, record. Good. <laughs> Pre, like, free societies, like it, one politically, it has to get more expansive from a free society like conception yeah. that totally makes sense. But right. it was interesting. He like had this whole like kind of full, like headspace. He liked to be in like, or at least he described. He liked to be more of like this kind of supporting character in and kind of, it was in, very interesting hearing your, your approach with the FEMS because it was very, like, similar. And it makes so much sense why you guys get along so well and why this record keeps feeding itself and how you guys keep coming up with more. Because it seems like right. that's the ethos that, like, you both thrive in. And, like, to have that creative headspace takes a lot of due diligence and practice to get to. But right. it, the rewards are this. Or the the reap of the of the rehearsal is this, and like, it's such an amazing record. Uh, just putting it in, out there again, like, um, what when in to like send one thing out, like, when you're sending these tracks and like, like I w- on the side note, when you get the room to sound right, drumming wise, right. when you get that, right. that's, that's a golden nugget. No matter what you play, um, but uh-huh. when you're sending these things out, like do you remember any of the headspace you were in making them or was it just like I tracked that and I can't believe what I'm getting back? Well, I was always surprised.
1: Um, and also I was always looking for consultation with my other two band members. So there wasn't a, uh, how can I put it? There wasn't kind of a piggish possessiveness about something that that i would present right i was all for the idea of hey here's this let's develop it into something else and that's because of my theater mindset i love right. to collaborate and uh case in point say the 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 song um uh, amanda's mantra right right okay so david said i want to write something about Amanda Gorman, who's this incredible young poet, and I said, yeah, I know her work. I would I would love to do something along those lines, too, but I had been thinking about writing something for uh, a, a dear friend of mine, this uh, old girlfriend from high school that had, had just recently died, and I said, I wanted to maybe write a lyric that would be a homage to her, and he said, well, is there any way you could kind of allude to that, but also write something about poetry or amanda in in specifics or something of that ilk so i went back to the drawing board and thought about how could i imply something that would really satisfy all these things that we're talking about and i figured okay well first of all maybe i will write just a little four-line poem and that's where james dean and marilyn monroe come in
0: i love that line
1: right and and then and then um i figured i would get more specific and talk about amanda and how what she's writing is is a beacon of light in a very sorrowful world and i thought well maybe i could put these two ideas together and the music that came back really threw me for a loop because you know that that strange electronic keyboard the bubbling sound and And all this, and I went, Oh my God, how how is this gonna work now with these words I've come up with? But I worked with it for a while and I figured out, at least in my mind, how I could make it happen. And then I sent it to the the other guys and and thankfully they they really loved what I presented back to them. But that was another sense of and and even at at the end I, I was just gonna call it Amanda. Right. And and David said, Why don't we call it Amanda's mantra? Yeah. And I went, yeah. Oh my God, that's perfect. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, some, some other person might've said, well, you know, I wrote it and I really liked this and I'm, I want to stay with this, you know, but I yeah. uh, we're not that way. We we've all been completely malleable in each other's hands, which is really refreshing. I tell you, especially, you know,
0: how, how things can be in a band context sometimes. Right. That's amazing. Like, Oh, like that oh, that's because I going through this I'm like I'm trying to figure out who Amanda was yeah I mean like, yeah in the in the songs context I'm like I don't even today driving to get ready to talk with you I was like I don't get where this one's ca- like I like the I really like the lines and I was following the narrative of this person but I didn't know who it was so that's yes. cool that it's a shout out to the poet and and to this um the idea of poetry of
1: yeah and and then also having in mind that idea because um my friend did my friend was very beautiful she didn't exactly look like marilyn monroe but she was blonde and had beautiful blue eyes and yeah. that's how i i made the connection there and just the idea of uh marilyn monroe kissing james dean yeah <laughs> just that's... had uh, like it was like high-powered romance for me <laughs> yeah but that's such a good
2: line
0: like i know uh, <laughs> <laughs> i I think that's the first song I heard when Ray sent me everything. I was like, "Whoa, this is oh. gonna, this record." Because like I got them all jumbled or whatever. And, right, right. But I'd rather I'd rather hear everything before reading about it. You know. And yeah. Like it was um, one song I wanted. To, I would love to hear your perspective on uh, is "Black sure. Leather on the Inside." So oh yeah. So when that one came together, David David was telling me it was a, from this loop from Peter Lofner from this vinyl. L- right which is a cleveland based singer songwriter and right. um, and i have i've talked to a bunch of people about peter loftner so did he bring that up when he sent you this loop or was this just a yes loop? okay yes he did yeah he did
1: he he told me the impetus for that and i had sent for for that particular piece i had sent that uh that drum track that was i think i have to think back on it now it was a series of percussion, and I believe it was two, two drum sets, maybe not two complete drum sets, but there's a drum set on the left and a drum set on the right. And I just presented that. And I didn't know what else was going to come back from that. But I eventually heard uh, the impetus for the story. David told me about that. And then um, David, I think, had improvised the bass line along um, to those drum tracks that I sent and he had told me a lot of the way he worked on this music for this album was he didn't even want to hear it until he was in the studio
2: yeah <laughs> and he had a
1: and he had a bass on yeah and then he would just say roll the track and he would just improvise and a lot of what you're hearing is just his first impressions yeah and i think that's what makes the album so it's so full of life and um, musicality in that we didn't have a lot of time to study Mm. what was happening. It was almost like, let's kind of get these first ideas down and let's really hold them in high esteem. Let's always try to work with the first idea. Mm.
0: It's like, it's like the the practice of creativity was this record. Like, you know, you know, what I mean, like especially how how David's process is, he's just going in and practicing coming up with mm-hmm. something, which is like which is interesting because musicians don't practice creativity in the same way as like technique or like how to read write, or, you know, what I mean, like so like, yeah, I think that's part of why the process for you guys and like listening is so pure and like engaging.
1: hmm. I think it could be. Yes,
0: that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah it
1: was a fun i can't tell you how much fun it was to put that record together and and how proud the three of us are of that record and 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 we're just so jazzed that that we're going forward now and we're already almost uh you know <laughs> completed another ep or or a full-length album i'm not sure what it's going to turn out to be but um uh, yeah i i just thank god that that during the the plague i i just yeah. had some other people to play with it was it was just really a godsend
0: um so like during that time what did like aside from this like I found myself having to get very structured in like okay Mm -hmm. I'm going to spend an hour writing I'm going to spend an hour doing this an hour learning this and like that's the only I had to structure my like days to get through that nonsense like yeah yeah like just you know i don't i did you what was your process like that or is it just really honing in on this because i know you, you have your own studio and well like... i'm kind of embarrassed i'm kind of embarrassed to say that
2: yeah
1: my life didn't really change <laughs> uh i was i was still you know just me and my wife and the way things are set up here i have a compound where we have a, a duplex that we live in and then behind the duplex is a cottage and this cottage is my recording studio and my office so i spend so much of my day here every day and and i'm not really around a lot of people so so my life didn't really change that much other than now i couldn't re- if i wanted to go out and be around people i couldn't really do that unless of course you're wearing a mask or yeah. or or you're uh, going to see some people that you know have been fully vaxxed and and boosted
2: right
1: so so that that presented a a little drama of itself but but i i really didn't feel like oh my god i'm missing out on the world now or anything like that because i would still be here reading or writing music (laughs) or recording or watching films or and you know this is another incredible thing that we had available to us during this time and that is youtube right where you could go you could go and find these performances from these musicians or actors or writers that you never even knew existed.
2: Right and,
1: right? and I found it such an educational tool that I never felt alone or that I was, I was really hungering for, for other human contact because, you know, I had my wife, I had, uh, you know, my kids I could talk to on the phone. I had grandkids here. And then also I had Janet, you know, Janet and I maintained a, a, uh, a relationship uh through it all um uh, so
0: yeah I, I i just felt like in a way you know welcome to my world <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what it was <laughs> yeah, you know like it was interesting uh um i work at a non-profit art gallery called negative space in cleveland as well okay and uh so that, are you
1: gonna bring us are you gonna bring 1913 there to play if you guys want to
0: I'll, sure I'll we'd love me. to that okay, I'll text you my email address and like, cool, we'll figure it out. That would be amazing. Um, but no, that it, would be fun. That you would you would love it just like describing how the excitement of like new performances. Like, this is one of the coolest spots in Cleveland. Um, but God, Great. the guy who um who runs it and like is the has the like the main kind of gallery room. He was like, you know, like this is every day. Every day is like, I don't know if we're gonna have enough money to get three next month. And just going in and creative right. every and living in that kind of like anxiety that was new for so many people. So they hear that from you like, oh, that was just kind of like more time the study or, you know, th- I think that makes sense. <laughs> like, well, it's either it's either that or just turn into a
1: drug addict or an alcoholic. Not productive. <laughs> no. And I'll tell you, I tell you, for the most part, I had a pretty healthy attitude. Towards towards the pandemic, I mean, there was maybe one month where it got a little hairy. I was drinking a little bit too much and smoking yeah. too much yeah. pot, and and it just got to the point where, all right, okay, I'm done with this now. But it, it was almost like I had to get that out of my system, and and I was feeling bad because some of my other friends were were really losing themselves in yeah. drink or drugs, and I I uh, I knew I, I knew I wasn't going to be that. Uh, but, uh, but at one point in time, I went, holy shit, you know, I just got to have a break from my mind for a while. Right. And that's, that's kind of the way I handled it. You
0: know? Well, and it's, yeah, I know with like, as much of like self practice as any creative endeavor has, like there is that kind of time to let go and kind of like, you know, kind of delude yourself and then yeah. bounce back. So, well, like... sometimes,
1: I don't know how you are, but sometimes I'll go for periods of time where I don't want to hear music, I hate music, <laughs> I don't want to have anything yeah, yeah. to do with it for maybe a couple of weeks,
2: you know, totally. and then I'll, yeah. then I'll
1: start listening yeah. to records every day again, or, or playing the drums again, or, or guitar, or, or whatever it is, but, but I, I think that's healthy sometimes just to reject everything, and then it gives you a, a freedom to maybe come back to things in a fresh way. Yeah.
0: No, you I know. definitely agree with that because it's it's um, it's exciting again it's putting that new spin just like not right. doing the same show but you know th- and yeah. like it's it's a hard balance a lot of people I think are one or one extreme or the other to come back to it and find new ways to look at the at the cup of music oh I'm gonna look at it from the bottom today oh that's a different yeah, thing yeah. you know right um,
1: well, one thing that I'm excited about too I know yeah. you mentioned before that you're a teacher, yeah. And it, it's funny because I was talking to my daughter yesterday and my grandson, Milo, who's five years old. Yeah. He's coming over next Thursday for his first drum lesson. No
0: way.
2: <laughs> That's so exciting. Oh, I know. I'm, so I'm excited happy, about
1: really. it. I'm excited about it. And, I, and he's crazy about it because, yeah. you know, I, I bought him a little a little uh, drum set uh, when he was two years old and he's had this little toy drum set to deal with but now he's going to get to come and and play on the real drums and I'm going to start teaching him, you know, rhythmic notation and, and, and everything. Uh, And I, I'm excited because I, I used to teach a long time ago, but I
0: haven't taught in decades. No. Well, it it can be taxing because you, you really start to care and you really want people to grow and like, but when it's with its grandson, like, oh, he's going to I'm so excited for you. That's going to be so awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun because your son plays, too. Right. And he's oh, my son is he's, a, he's a great record, drummer. Right.
1: Well, he's a great I mean, he plays. He's one of these people that makes you sick because you can give him any any instrument and he'll figure out how to play something. Yeah. on it. But his his drumming is incredible. And he's a great producer and engineer. And uh, he's living out in Los Angeles right now. And he's, uh, he's, uh, you know, member of Langhorn Slim's band mm. and, uh, uh, they're out on tour right now, as a matter of fact, but, uh, yeah, Mal is, uh, he's a great musician. In fact, uh, he's going to be coming back here, uh, in December and for the holidays. And then we always, uh, manage to turn on the studio and, nice. and record something. So, so that'll be fun, but, uh.
0: Do you um um do you think like being a drummer kind of lends to a like studio like thought because you're behind a band you're kind of guiding a group and almost live producing in a way do you think that kind of like makes the idea of recording and engineering and producing more clear?
1: Well, let's see. That that might take a while for me to answer because no, because <laughs> I I think it's a very good question in that. When I started to get in, like I told you before, music to me was just something that was in a film or a television. Right. And then when I started to become a musician, I, I became more musically minded. And I find that as a producer or as an engineer or as a drummer working in a recording context, it it really helps to have not only a good understanding of time and how time is applied and you you know you can play behind the beat in the middle of the beat or in front of the beat and that that's very important how you influence the feel of the music and when you're an engineer you're trying to capture what is being given to you by let's say in this sense a drummer okay what are this drummer's strengths how does he come across in a recorded way has has he or she ever been recorded properly um what can you suggest to the drummer being a fellow drummer that will help them accomplish what they're trying to do um so i I think it all comes into play in in the world of music and the, the world of expression um and and I would think that having an understanding for me as an engineer and as a producer, I mean, I got my f- first tape recorder when I was nine years old. So my father, who was a barber, I <laughs> had a friend who was like one of these guys that, hey, Vic, I got this new toy. You should I got to show you this thing I got, you know, whether it would be a car or yeah. uh, a new set of hair clippers <laughs> or or. Or in this case, he had this little reel-to-reel tape recorder, which I still have here. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. A, it's I got it when I was nine years old, and it's got, uh, you know, it's it's a, a reel-to-reel. It's only three-inch reels, and it's made by Aowa. But uh, that started me on my journey, and then I, I mean, I still have all my different tape recorders, except for when I had my pro studio upstairs here. I had a, 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 a hybrid Sony uh, MCI 24-track, a two-inch machine. And I, and I sold that when I sold all my, my pro gear. And this that was about maybe 10 years ago when I sold everything. And now I just work on a digital workstation. But um, yeah, all, all that stuff applies. I, I, I think the more knowledge you have in all those different worlds, Um, you can bring it to bear and and, uh, not only help yourself, but help other people.
0: I think that's well said and very insightful. Because, like, I don't know, I've just, uh, I've noticed a lot of my drumming friends also are interested in recording and producing. Right, a lot Um, of drummers are. That's that's true. um, But, Victor... Thank you so much for your time. This has been a very engaged and delightful conversation for myself and I really appreciate your time. Well, fabulous. And I, is this towards a, something you're writing or, or what is it for? A podcast. Oh, it's a podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Um, I wasn't sure. Yeah. Okay. No, perfect. It's perfect. Um, um, but yeah, so what, because uh, I, I was working with Ray in like, um, I'm going to talk to I'm going to talk to Darwin in a couple of days, too. OK, so this has been a really cool process to see, like every angle of this record. And it's been one I'm such a fan of. Oh, um, great. From, and I'm super excited that, to get the chat with you. And I've been a fan of the Fems for a while. Or for ever since I started trying to figure out guitar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so not a while, a pretty long time. Yeah. So this is very well, at least, at,
1: at least as far as Gordon's concerned, you don't have to really get into too many
0: chords. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm not worried about the Coltrane changes. I'm just that's <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, but uh, listen,
1: make sure you send me your email stuff about yes,
2: probably. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig at the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.